Well, as we begin our worship this morning, the Lord's house, we welcome you all today. We pray that our worship will be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Let's begin with number 28, a great hymn, How Great Thou Art, and let's let the joy and the majesty and the holiness of God fill our hearts as we stand to worship Him today. opportunity to sing the first three verses of this hymn this morning, and you cannot really help but let the joy and the thrill of the Lord come to your heart, especially when we come to that chorus. Let's lift our voices and our hearts, because 
The Lord is coming. The final verse speaks of when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. We read that just recently. When our Lord Jesus comes back, it will be with a shout of glory, of victory, of power, and of conquering all his enemies. And we are on the Lord's side. Let us therefore live today in the victory of Calvary and of our soon coming King. Join on this final stanza. Let's be still now, please, before the Lord as we come to pray, commit our day and our service into the Lord's hands. Our gracious and loving Father, we humble ourselves this morning in Your great and holy presence. And Father, we come to acknowledge truly and honestly and openly today of the greatness of the God with whom we have to do. Lord, how can these mortal lips, how can this flesh and blood properly exalt the One who has loved us with an everlasting love? The greatness of God, the power of Lord, that is vested in You in all things, some that we have seen, but many, many others we have not yet seen. And dear Father, I pray that in the heart of every one of us as Your children, there would be lifted up such a volley of praise, such worship from our hearts, and that, Lord, you would be pleased to receive from us that which we humbly offer, and so inadequately, Lord. And yet we're thankful, as the psalmist said, that our frame it but dust is known in heaven, and you remember, Lord, all there is about us. And therefore, we come with thanksgiving, and we come with praise upon our lips, and we ask, Lord, that you would receive from us all that we can give. And Lord, solicit all that much more from us. We pray the Spirit of God will enable us, empower us to give worship that is due and worthy of the great name of our Lord Jesus. 
We ask, Father, today that we would be cleansed from everything that would defile us, from every distraction, Lord, take it away. Don't allow us to be taken aside by things of this world, even things that are good and right. Yet today and now and for this hour we have together, dear Father, unite all believing hearts. We will praise and give worship, and you would receive from us all that we have. O God, hear our prayer today. Pour out your grace. Pour out your Spirit abundantly. Lord, bless and come to the place and point of need of everyone that claims and names the name of Christ. For, Lord, we have many troubles or trials. Some are known, some unknown. And I pray that the grace of the Spirit of God would be that to strengthen us and help us through our times. Lord, keep us from unwise decisions. Give us, we pray, a double portion of discernment in the day in which we live. Let us not be taken aside or distracted or confused by all the varying voices in this world, all trying to take us aside, all trying to lead us astray from the right and true pathway. Lord, help us to be firmly grounded on the solid rock of Scripture that we will be a living testimony and a light in a dark world. We know, Lord, we can't do this by ourselves. We need the power that is not of us, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And Lord, this morning we pray with committing ourselves and our church and all our ministry afresh into your hand. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us to go forward and to help us to stand, Lord, in our day when many, it seems, are falling. We want to be, Lord, a witness in our time. For we have been brought to the kingdom, Lord, for such a time as this. Help us to therefore understand the times and the seasons, to see where we are as much as we can in the course of church history. And Lord, make use of us to be the people we should be in our time. For we're all like Esther. We've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Help us to see our place and what we can do. And Lord, may each one of us in our fellowship present our souls, our lives, our minds, our being on the altar of sacrifice for service. And Lord, to renew again and afresh today our love and our willingness to serve. Dear Father, take and make use of us today, we pray. We're thankful for the privilege of the Sabbath day. And Lord, as we come, we want to honor our Savior. We want to give praise, Father, on this holy day. And help us, therefore, to make use of it to the very best that we can and to draw all the blessings and benefits of fellowship together around the Word and encourage every heart. We think of believers now in our own fellowship who have come through surgeries recently, 
And Lord, we pray, have prayed much for their healing and for your a measure of strength to be upon them. And we're thankful for answered prayer. We're thankful for our sister Isabel and brother Ted. And we pray your hand blessing to continue to be upon them. We're thankful for our sister Anna and restoring her to a measure of health. We pray for Serene. Remember Ron and Richard Teo. Remember brother, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ that have particular needs that we might not know of. But Lord, we're thankful we commit every care, every need into your hand. Help us, we pray, Father, in all of our meetings today and in every faithful pulpit that is preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, may there be an ingathering of souls for salvation and a building up of your people. Bless us, we pray, in this incoming week as the ministers and elders head down to the week of prayer and presbytery meetings. Father, undertake for us, we pray, and may we know, be very conscious of the power of God working in our midst. So, Lord, hear our prayer today. Bless us in all of our meetings. Thankful for the boys and girls, the Sunday school, for the young adult class, for the adult class today. And, Lord, we pray your blessing. Think also of Brother Siman as he ministers in Port Hope today. Be with our brother Cranston. We're thankful again for your hand upon him. Continue to strengthen him and bless him in this time. And as he comes near to the day of retirement and of the 30th anniversary of our congregation there, Lord, richly bless them all, we pray. So hear us now. We ask these things today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Psalm 145. We will stand as we continue in our praise of the Lord.
you may be seated. What a great psalm and a great hymn of praise. The fourth stanza at the end, it says, And I, thy greatness, will unfold. Well, you begin to wonder, how can you unfold the greatness of God? How can I do that? It is an impossibility left to ourselves, for the Lord is so great and too great. And yet, by the indwelling Spirit of God, He bears witness with our spirit that we belong to Him, and therefore He gives us the power that we don't have ourselves. And He enables us to do what we cannot do. And so we rejoice this morning. We give thanks to Him. And we want to be on the side and with the power of His Spirit to be able to sing of His greatness and to be able to testify and unfold it before an ungodly world. Whilst they thy righteousness relate. The people of God, we ask ourselves a question, don't we? How are we reflecting the greatness of God? How are we communicating that to an ungodly and a criticizing world? Well, it is by the strength and the power of the Lord that abides within And therefore, we pray that the Lord will give us that grace and be able to do it. We're going to read from the Word of God this morning from Colossians chapter 1, one of the many epistles of the Apostle Paul, book of Colossians. Reading from verse 14. The end of the chapter. Paul writes, In whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You take yourself a deep breath there at that scripture. It's repeated a number of times. It was a great theme that the apostle had. In Ephesians, he quotes it again. He says it a few times. In whom, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature or creation. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh, through death, 
to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for His body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. There's the answer as we think about what it means to unfold the righteousness of God, to unfold the greatness of the Lord. It is as Paul speaks here, it is the glory of God and the power revealed in Him and through Him. And ah, my dear friends today, let us rejoice with joy that is unspeakable beyond definition and full of glory that we are in Christ today. I wonder, friend, if you're listening online today and you're not a believer, you don't know what it is to truly know Christ as your own. I ask you, are you saved? Have you been born again of God's Spirit? And be sure you know. Be sure you can rest in Him this very day in that truth. And the Lord bless His Word to your hearts. Very happy to see you in the Lord's house today. We are but a very small blip on the scale of the Church of Christ worldwide. We are a small number of believers, but I'm very thankful for each one of you. I'm thankful you're in the house of God today. I'm thankful for each one watching online. So you're very welcome here. Happy that Brittany is with us all the way from Calgary. You know, we've seen Brittany in the times we visited there before, and uh, you're very welcome here in Toronto on some business, and happy that you're with us today. We trust the Lord will richly bless you. Our brother Ed Marriott, he's not with us in the service today. I don't see him there, but uh, Ed had a birthday last week, and we were acknowledging a few others, and so we want to express our our happiness to our brother Ed at the same time. Word of thanks to our brother Robin. Uh, the ladies in the washroom here out to your left-hand side, it has got a freshening up, and I don't mean makeup, I mean a new paint job, although sometimes the two things may go together. Anyways, it's got a fresh paint job there, and uh, it's looking tidy and nice, and so we appreciate that. And you'll notice the 
bright yellow lines as you drove in the parking lot today. They're all freshened up, the parking lot lines, and our brother's been painting away. And this was a job he has taken up to do by hand with a roller. And the reason behind that, we looked at several options. We're going to buy a, a paint sprayer. We're going to rent a paint sprayer. And uh, the cost of painting the lines in the parking lot is probably around $5,000. So it's a lot of money. And uh, so we thought, is there a more economical way to use the Lord's money more wisely? And so our brother took up the challenge, and uh, it's an excellent job. So much appreciation, brother, for your work and labor and the Lord's work here and many other things as well. Let me encourage you that next uh, Lord's Day is our Thanksgiving Lord's Day, and I'm sorry I will not be here with you because I'll be traveling down to Winston-Salem for our Presbyterian prayer times. It's going to start from Monday to Friday, and then I'll be in the Winston-Salem congregation next Lord's Day. But you'll have a treat because Brother Gordon Ferguson will be here preaching in the morning service and Brother Gallagher in the evening service next Lord's Day. So that's a little advance for you to think about. The next Lord's Day is Thanksgiving. And we want to encourage everyone to bring in some dried canned goods. And there will be some boxes just at the back in the foyer for you to set those in. And the boys and girls from Sunday school are also going to be bringing some and contributing to that. And then after that's been brought in, we divide up those boxes to some needy homes and families and some local shelters around. So let's do our part and bring in those for next Lord's Day. If you're coming on Wednesday night to the prayer meeting, then you're able to bring them then also, if that's more convenient for you. Today our services at 5.50, our pre-service prayer time, and our evening service at 6.30. And then please note our communion service will be after the evening service tonight. So please remember that before the Lord. Rejoicing, our brother Alec, I see him back in the service now, and that is good. He has just returned from the Cedarbrook Seniors Home, and you will know that we have done a seniors ministry for there for many, many years. Our brother Duncan McKercher was involved in that for a long time. Well, then COVID, we know, shut many things down, and that just never started up again. But today has been the recommencement of that ministry, so we thank our brother Alec for being there and uh, starting off that. And he'll be preparing a list of men who will go there and uh, some young people, I'm sure, to be able to sing and minister in song. So let's pray for that ministry. Let's pray that God will bring the Scripture and the Word uh, to those who are, well, in the even tide of life. And the gospel message will go out there and will be an encouragement. Before I get too far ahead in the welcome, I welcome Brittany, but then I see also Ted and Isabel there too, and prayed for them. And it's good to see Isabel. We've been praying much for our sister from her surgery, and uh, thankful that you and Ted are back in the service this morning. You've been away for a long time, but we've been holding you in prayer, and we continue to do that so the Lord will richly bless you. Please remember, as I already mentioned, about our presbytery and praying that all the men and uh, ministers, elders, will be brought there safely to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and that we will know the presence of God in our prayer times and in all the, the business meetings, all the fellowship times, that we will know a blessed unity and the peace and power 
of God there. And I will appreciate your prayers for the responsibilities of being moderator to oversee and, and control the meetings. Well, I should say control them, at least to try to oversee them anyways. Sometimes you can't control them in that sense. But we pray the Lord will be with us and we will have good, joyful, unified times of discussion as we see the forward movement of the church and involvement in the seminary, Geneva Reform Seminary, and the mission board, the outreaches that we have there. And all of our churches, we pray for the Lord's blessing and power upon it. It was good to hear in the morning prayer time in our adult Bible class, some folks remembering that, and let me encourage you to do that. Wednesday evening, our Bible study and prayer time, and Brother Newell will be bringing the Word on Wednesday night. And then next Lord's Day, our Sunday school Bible classes at 9.50, and then our morning and evening services at 11 and 6.30. We've been thinking a lot about Port Hope and Brother Cranston, and I was speaking with him this week, and he really wanted me to emphasize to the congregation how much he is so thankful for your faithful praying uh, for him, uh, because he has been not well, and he's been going through a lot of tests recently, and they're trying to evaluate what exactly is his uh, medical problem. But uh, he's looking forward to the 30th anniversary of the congregation. But in another sense, he's not looking forward to that because this is his retirement. He has been serving in that place for 30 years and close to 50 years overall in his uh, ministry for the Lord. And so do remember our brother and his family and the congregation in Port Hope. We will be putting on the uh, email bulletin the schedule of all the services for Port Hope at the end of October, and you will get uh, all those details. And Reverend Gordon Ferguson, who's retired from the ministry, he's going to be the special speaker uh, for that week. And then also the American Council of Christian Churches have a, has a meeting in Kittery, Maine, uh, the same week, actually, the last week of October, and I will be there in the will of God and have to bring a couple of messages there. So appreciate your prayers very much for all of those things. Let's continue in our worship of the Lord with number 407. 407, and we will stand as we sing.
before we sing the final stanza, we sang this on Wednesday evening at the prayer time, and uh, it was good to hear that we were thinking on the theme of that great subject of the love of God toward us. And so, as we sing it again today, I wanted to sing this hymn. It's going to fit in with, again, the theme we're considering this morning. Well, let the knowledge of the love of God to you, believer, flood your heart today with great joy. And friend, if you're not a Christian, well, you don't know the love of God by an experience in your heart. We are praying today that the Lord will break through and He will open your soul. You will know Him. You will love Him. And you will rejoice in so great salvation. With such a blessed hope in view, we would more holy be, more like our risen, glorious Lord, whose face we soon shall see. Let's lift up our voices and our hearts on this final verse. please in your Bibles to the book of 1 John and chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. 
Beloved, let us love not, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The Lord bless His Word to us now. I invite you please to bow with me in a word of prayer and ask that the Lord would write His truth upon your heart today. Father, what thanksgiving and rejoicing is in our hearts for already knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ in our worship. Lord, we have endeavored to offer the praise of our hearts with our lips in song. Father, we have read the Scripture and we pray its truth would be fastened on our hearts. Help me today, Lord, to speak Thy holy word with power. It is not man-made. It's not of the flesh. Dear Father, I pray that everyone gathered in our service and watching the service online would know the truth stamped in their mind and heart. Hear our prayer today, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. John is known as the beloved apostle. He spoke often of the love of God. That's a great theme through his gospel and in the letters that he has written. He's emphasizing it over and over again. He does it from many different angles. He was looking at the love of God as a diamond. And as he turned that diamond, the light shone on it from many angles, and he could see and wanted to communicate that. He emphasized the angles of it from both a positive way and also from a negative way. He pressed his audience to see the the bigger picture of God's eternal kingdom in this life. And friends, if we miss that, then we will miss the theme and the underlying message and communication of God's Word. We want to always see the bigger picture of what God has done from eternity, what He has planned, what is being accomplished, and what He will fulfill at the end. And as we observe the kingdom of God and His purposes through the lens of God's love, it is that theme which dominates His character and His actions. And yet, while John promotes this wonderful truth and he presses it home to each Christian to strive for a heart in all of our interactions to reflect the love of God. 
And yet He also warns us with a solemn and we could say a stern warning. He warns us of the dangers that are around us in this present evil world. And He warns us of those dangers of false prophets and false teachers. They will not always be obvious and we do not always take serious consideration of them. But the Lord warns us of those that try to bring in their false teachings and heresies, and we are to take seriously the consideration of these matters. Because if we do not, we will miss out and be deceived, perhaps, or distracted from the greater purpose that God has for this world. And so in chapter 4 and verse 1, he exhorts the believers to try the spirits whether they are of God. The word try, it means to prove. It means to scrutinize. It means to examine. And of course, the proving and scrutinizing and examining of this, it's not going to be done through the eyesight of our physical mind or wisdom or discernment. It must, of course, be done through the mind of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. We are to bring all teachers and doctrines to the purifying fire of the Word of God the light of Scripture. And as the light of God's Word shines upon both the teachers and their teachings, they will come to light for who they really are. Are they genuine or are they counterfeit? Are they real or are they imposters? So important for us. The point is that We are not to blindly accept all who say they are from God. Believer, put on the spiritual discerning glasses today. Just because someone on the TV or internet or radio preaches that they are from God with an open Bible, you are not to accept that we must always be accountable to bring what is being taught and spoken back to the Scriptures in order to see if it adds up. And that includes the very thing that I am saying to you today. As a preacher of the Gospel, those of you who know me for any number of years will have had the opportunity of examining and cross-examining what I have been saying according to the Scripture And my prayer has always been, and I trust you will pray continually for me, that I don't want to say or teach or imply anything that is against the Word of God or against the Spirit of the Scripture. Those two things are important. They're vital. I often ask for your prayer for this pulpit and for the ministry that goes on here and for everyone who stands behind this sacred place because it is a high office. 
It is a high office that is not man-made. It's a high office that is God-directed and given, and the authority of it lies with Him. So, the responsibility is great, and you as God's people must see that responsibility, and I believe you do, and you are praying to that end. Do not be gullible. If you are a loving Christian, and we are all to be loving, we are also to be discerning people, and not to be taken in or fogged by some faulty thinking that we do not see the reality going around us. And also the foggy type of thinking that says it would be unchristlike to expose error or to call out someone who is not teaching the truth. All you have to do is come right back to John, 1 John 4 and 1, the man who presented the love of Christ more than any other writer in the Bible. And yet, what does he say? He says, you must prove and scrutinize and examine the spirits to see if they are who they say they are. And if they are not who they say they are, get rid of them. Remove them. Leave them. Do not be influenced by their teaching. And so, friends, as we think about the Scriptures today that we have read, I want to consider verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater power. That's what I want us to think about today. The greater power that is in you. The greater power that is in me. The greater power that abides in every true believer. And the first thought is this. There are two opposing world forces. All human events are defined by one or the other of these two opposing forces. This is not, by the way, the free world against communism. It is not Russia against Ukraine. It is not republicanism against Democrats. It's not the liberal government against the conservatives. For in all these cases, there are often more than enough evidences of corruption, scandal, espionage, and broken promises. And it's often hard to tell them apart when you have one in power and they're voted out and another one comes in power. There's a lot of garbage that goes on behind the scenes that we know nothing about. So our hope is not placed in a political party. Our hope is not placed in a vision for a utopian existence in this earth. Our hope is not to see that one is slightly better than another one and therefore we put all our hope in the one that we feel is good. 
Friends, it comes right down to this. It is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Antichrist. These are the two opposing forces in the world today and from all time. John writes in chapter 2, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now, even now are there many Antichrists whereby ye know that it is the last time. Now, we know John was writing 2,000 years ago plus from our vantage point. And he was saying that Antichrist was alive and well in his day. But not just one, there were many of them. Because it was the spirit of Antichrist motivated by the power of Satan. And that represents one of the two world forces. Christ and His Spirit, the Trinity and God, and the devil and all that He represents, the other force. And you will notice that He said, we are now in the last time. And so the last days, according to the book of Acts, and as John writes, was from the time of Christ's resurrection and ascension to glory. And these last days have still been in operation for these 2,000 years. And that's why, as we have said often time before, we use the term the last of the last days because it seems by all observation that how much more time can go on in this wicked world that's spiraling, it seems, out of control in iniquity and immorality and everything else. But we stand from the vantage point of knowing that our sovereign God is in control of all things. And friends, let us rest ourselves there and not be distracted and not be set aside. These two opposing forces... One stands for truth and the other against it for error. One is for righteousness and good and the other is for wickedness and evil. One is love and the other is hate. One is for right and the other for wrong. And here's where it all boils down. One is for life, and the other is for death. And so, when the Scripture says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, as Joshua said to the people in his day, are you going to serve for the force which is of love and right and truth and good, or are you going to serve the force that is for evil and wickedness and darkness and ultimately death? And that is the choice that is set before us. And these two opposing forces, the evidence of their opposition has been from the beginning. 
from the beginning of time in this earth, but it actually predates earth. Because what was going on between God and when Lucifer fell from being the first angel, and those workings in eternity that we do not have understanding of yet, apart from knowing that Satan, Lucifer, rebelled against God and he chose another pathway. And the Lord removed him and a third of the angelic body. And they, the demonic world, make up the forces of evil today and all that is against the force of good. And it's been from the beginning of time. We're familiar well with what transpired in the garden and how Eve fell to the temptation of the serpent. And Adam also rebelled, though he was not deceived. He rebelled willingly. And sin came upon him and upon the entire world because of his choice. And we sinned in Adam. We were part of the human race. And he represents us as our federal head. And from the beginning, it has been the attacks and the opposition between evil and that which is good. But friend, you don't just have to say it started at the beginning. Well, where's the evidence of it throughout history? Because we see the continuation of that and the evidence throughout history from the days of Noah. When Noah, who is described as a preacher of righteousness, so he was on the Lord's side, promoting that which is good and right and true. But he was opposed by the forces of evil. And as this book of Genesis chapter 6 describes the violence, the murder that filled the entire earth in that day. And when God looked down upon the violence that filled the earth, He determined that He would bring humanity to a close except for Noah and his wife and his children and their wives. There would be a remnant that God preserved from the world at that time because Satan had so filled the earth with his influence and power at that time. But you move on through and you see types and shadows. You could say almost the antitype of Antichrist himself. There are images and pictures. And certainly Jezebel the wicked queen of Israel, the wife of Ahab, becomes a person of interest when we describe Antichrist. For there are many of them. And how did Jezebel manifest the evil and the wickedness in her day of the ongoing force and fight between good and evil while she rallied up as many of the priests and prophets of the Lord and she had them killed? And you will know well that when Elijah took his great stand on Mount Carmel and Jezebel threatened him that you will be dead as my prophets are dead by tomorrow, he fear, took fear and ran. And then you move on to another wicked queen called Athaliah. And again in Israel, she tried to kill all the seed royal. 
And what was behind Athaliah as she was on the throne? She had imposed herself there when her son had, was there too young to reign. And she was overseeing all of this. Why was she trying to kill the seed royal? Because she did not want to have anyone come to the place of usurping her authority or that of her family. What was behind that? What was behind Jezebel and behind Athaliah? It was the great force of Satan trying to stamp out the line of the Messiah, trying to stamp out the witness that what God would bring to this world of salva- for salvation. You move a bit farther in history, and you consider Haman trying to exterminate the Jews and once more stamp out the line of Christ. And how about Herod? In the day when news came that a king was born in Bethlehem, and what did he do? He slew all the children two years of age and under. And all of these men and women, types and shadows and pictures of the great man of sin that is to come. And in the day of Christ, and after Christ was Nero, And that Roman emperor, who for his folly and joy burned Christians as candles in his garden in Rome. And of course, the Christians that were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. All of these events and happenings that are real and validated in church history, they give evidence of the forces between evil and of good. Sometimes when you cite all of these things, you think the forces of good are not doing so well. Where is the power of God in all this? Why is it that Satan has had such victory over all of these things in the world? The Waldensians, the pre-Reformation days, the Christians that were hunted and tortured and killed on the mountains of Italy, in England when Bloody Mary burned at the stake those who were faithful servants of God, and the countless civilizations from that time till now that have attempted to persecute and destroy believers And friend, that's all in the continuation of this through history. And what about the fight that will come to the very end? These tribulations will continue until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And when He returns, that will be the culmination of all human history. When our Lord Jesus comes back again, He will destroy Satan, the man of sin, and all that have opposed Him at that time. But understanding that there is such a battle that has raged from the beginning and that continues throughout church history and that will go until the very end, if we grasp that believer, it will help us to understand and not be surprised and cast into a state of confusion or despair, thinking that all is for nothing, or that all is over. And I say to you at this moment, 
you cannot be neutral in this warfare. You cannot say that, well, I'm really not on God's side, and I'm really not on the devil's side. I just want to steer a steady course through. I want to be a fence-sitter and see how it all boils down at the end. Men, women, you cannot be neutral in the issues of God and the world and Satan. You must make your decision. As a matter of fact, if you declare yourself as being neutral, you're not making a decision, you have already made it, and you're on the side of Satan. And that's why Moses, at the base of Mount Sinai, made that cry, who is on the Lord's side? And we would say that as the hymn writer today, who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords? There are two opposing forces. Friend, what side are you on today? If you're not a believer, if you're outside of Christ, you're on Satan's side. And there's only one way for you to move from that side to the side of righteousness and light and truth, and that is to receive Christ as your own Lord and Savior. And I exhort you today, I, I compel you today in Christ's name to seek the Lord with your heart and call out unto Him, what must I do to be saved that you might know the joy and peace of sins forgiven and of knowing the joy of Christ in your heart and life. Today also, you must consider and understand the warfare that we are in. What I've stated already, it all seems to have the purpose from a satanic side of a violent physical overthrow of God's people. And it would not be wrong to say that. But ultimately, friend, this is not a physical battle or warfare. This is not something that is just limited to human history, because the warfare is much greater and much vaster it is a spiritual battle and warfare that we are in. When the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, he is making that very clear that the battle and the warfare between righteousness and evil is a spiritual battle. We wrestle against principalities and powers that are not seen with the natural eye. When we understand these things, believer, we begin to comprehend what is the nature of the warfare that we are involved in. It's not to be fought with carnal or worldly weapons. For Jesus Himself said, My kingdom is not of this world, or else My servants would fight. He said that to Pilate. And of course, we know that Christ could have called angels to release Him and let Him go. He could have dismissed Pilate and all, but no, He did not. And He could have also said, I will have My worldly kingdom by My servants, and they will rise and fight and be victorious. But it's not a physical warfare. It's a spiritual dimension, and we cannot forget that. 
In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not worldly. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that is the weaponry that we have. When we think about this warfare that we have, it has two aspects to it. It's an outward and an inward battle and warfare. For an outward sense, and keep in mind, it's a spiritual battle that we're engaged in, but it's going to be manifested in a physical sense oftentimes. And so there has been the attack of the devil to dismantle biblical morality. When God calls something wrong, Satan will call it right and good and true. And everything that God would call righteous and good, Satan will retweak that and he will change it and he will bring it to the manifestation of evil. And so we have to understand the outward attack. It's going to be a dismantling of biblical morality. It's going to be a denying of the absolutes. In other words, there is no right and there is no wrong. And a lot of times people will say it's all in a, in a big general flux. There's no way that someone can define and say something is sinful because there is no sin. There is no right and wrong. There are no absolute standards. And then, of course, on top of that, we find that there is a redefining of terms. Redefining of biblical terms, redefining of terms that we have come to understand in common decency and morality and normality, well then, what is Satan attempting to do? Do we not see that today? The very issue of gender is being redefined. It's no longer male or female. It's something else that becomes very mushy and uncertain and unclear. A boy is no longer a boy. A girl no longer a girl. They are something different. And so remember and think when these things you see the manifestation of them, know that it's another part of the sign of the times in which we are living. And it's part of the outward attack of the enemy against truth. And of course we see the persecution of believers. We see that today, friends. We see the pressure coming on us in our own land. Because if you stand and declare yourself as a Bible-believing Christian, you're going to be set aside and marginalized as being, well, a few screws loose, not quite there, a little bit out of balance. And all of the outward attacks, you're going to see them really harmonized in the destruction of the Bible itself. Because ultimately, that's where Satan's attack is. It's against the Word of God. That was going right back to the very beginning, because if Satan could cause a question in the mind of Eve as to the authority of Scripture, of what God had told her was true and right, and you need to obey it, but if Satan could introduce a question, which he did, that questioning has very quickly turned into a denial, 
which it did in Eve's day, and it does in our day, but we're almost way past the questioning time in Satan's scheme of questioning the Bible. It is just a downright tearing apart of every vestige of truth and righteousness. But isn't it interesting to examine throughout church history how many times the Bible has been tried to be destroyed, either by burning it in the fire, which happened in different sections of time in the Reformation and so on, whether it has been undermined by causing it and calling it to be just an old tale and not legitimate and up to the standard of today. The Bible was maybe okay for some former generation, but it's no good for the enlightenment of the age in which we're living in now. We're, we're past that. We're beyond that. Come on, get with it. That is the thinking that has come And that is all part of the devil's attempt to destroy God's holy word. These are the outward attacks that come. And they don't rest. It doesn't come to a point where Satan tires out and says, that's enough, I I, I guess I'm not winning this battle. No, he simply changes and morphs and develops and alters. But then there are the internal attacks that come. The internal attack of the battle of the flesh against the Spirit. And I'm talking about internal within the heart and the life of the Christian. This internal battle, it's a battle that rages against truth and error, and it comes really down to the old nature against the new nature. It's a battle of the flesh against the Spirit. And if you wanted any other proof apart from what Paul, the great apostle, said, O wretched man that I am. What was Paul saying when he said that? He was looking into his own life. He was looking into his own soul. And he realized there is a battle and a warfare going on. The flesh against the Spirit. The right against the wrong. And our friends today, Let's realize that that battle will not be over until we die or until Christ comes back again. It's an ongoing struggle. It's part of the internal attack, the the flesh and the spirit, the new against the old. And the increasing discouragement that can come into the life of a believer, that will sometimes lead to A denial. That's what Satan's aiming at. That internal battle. He wants to bring you to the place of saying, curse God and die. It's not worth the struggle. Look at the science. Look at the politics. Look at history. And this idea of God is, God is dead, as Voltaire once said. And that's what And where the attack comes from, it leads you to ultimately want to deny your faith and walk away from it. Have you known or have you known someone who's professed faith in Christ that is not walking with the Lord anymore today? But it's not just not walking with the Lord. It's come to a point of a total denial of God. The idea of enlightenment, which is really an internal attack, has borne its fruit. 
And all friends today, we need to have the armor of God on by prayer. And that's why Paul warned, you're fighting against powers that are not human and not ordinary. And therefore, because these powers are great and too much for us physically and too much for us in our own self, therefore we must have on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness. We must have all these things on. We must have the belt of truth and pull it tighter by the notch and make sure it's firmly around us. We must know our enemy. To know how he thinks and how he moves. In any strategy of war, the opposing generals will do whatever they can to find out the pattern of the enemy. They want to know what's the potential next move he's going to make. Because if they know the next move, they can counter that move. And so every good and great general in human history has attempted to know the enemy. And that's what we must do as Christians. We must not be deceived in understanding and looking for the wolf in the sheep's clothing. We must be very much aware of the serpent as he is moving silently and with deception. And to be aware And by the power of God's Spirit in us, as we've been praying for wisdom and discernment, the Lord's Spirit in us will give us that insight and foresight to know how to equip and prepare ourselves for the battle that we are in today. Our time is gone. We think in the third place about the dominance of God over Satan. This is really the heart of this text, isn't it? Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, we don't have to compare the greatness or defining it by love or by kindness or mercy or grace or forgiveness or compassion or long-suffering or gentleness because Satan doesn't have any of those things. So if you were to say, well, God is greater than Satan in love and kindness and mercy and grace, that would be like a no-brainer. Of course he is, because Satan doesn't possess any of those things. So when we think about, and what the Scripture is talking about here, greater is he that is in you, what's it talking about? It boils down to this one central theme. It is the power of God. It's the power of God that is greater than the power of Satan. And believer, when we consider this, Satan is controlled and restrained and will one day be completely destroyed. And this means that you and I today have the power of God in us. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And that is talking about the power of God abiding in us. And that is to strengthen us for every time of need. Believer, it is to equip us for every work that we are called to do. It is to make us able to overcome Satan's attacks. 
And my, when we dwell on those three thoughts, knowing the power of God that is in us, we need not fear Satan or his works. We need not fear the emissaries and the ambassadors of hell, because the power of God is in us. And we don't boast about it. We don't say, oh, I have some power that I am able to boast about or brag about. But it is to rest firmly in the knowledge of what we have and of who we know. And it's all concluded in this. It is the believer's certain victory. You are of God, little children. Look at the very start of verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome who? Overcome all antichrists. Overcome the power of Satan and darkness and death. Because of the greatness of the God that is in you, you are overcomers today. And that gives us the confidence Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's the ground of confidence that we rest on today. I ask you this morning, friend, are you resting in the Lord today? Believer, don't allow yourself to be beaten up by the devil. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged by looking around you at all the garbage going on today. No, every time you think about that, understand there's a a warfare and a battle going on but we know the end of the story. And our Lord God omnipotent reigneth. For we would say, our God is great. And the greatness of our God cannot and will not ever be surpassed. May the Lord write His Word upon your heart today. Let's close our service by singing 587. Rejoice! In the Lord, oh, let His mercy cheer. He sunders, He cuts apart the bands that enthrall. Redeemed by His blood, why should we ever fear, since Jesus is our all in all. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
Father, today we are thankful that the truth of this is that no one and no power and no force can be against the child of God and ever think to succeed. Lord, we see and know around us in history of many trials and tribulations of the people of God. And yet, we are in Christ, and therefore, we are living in the victory of all that He has done for us. Help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon our Lord and to walk each day in the joy and peace and victory of Calvary. And Father, we pray that we'll be kept faithful until that day comes when we are called to go home in death or until our Lord Jesus returns. Hear our prayer today. Part us in your fear with your rich and mighty blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.